0: Well, we're going to be in 1 John
1: chapter 2 this week, and uh, I don't know, when we finished two years of end-time prophecy, I I really wanted to do something practical, and I I had it in my head, and I hope it was from the Holy Spirit that 1 John would be a good place to go, and I thought, you know, it's fairly light and practical and useful, and my problem is every time I go into it to study it, I find myself falling deeper and deeper into a pit of theology that I really... Never noticed before, and uh, when I went back to my old notes, I realized it's been almost thirty years since uh, I've taken this church through this uh, this passage, and this is a different walk through than it was thirty years ago. I can tell you that. Uh, I'm going to be talking about four things, and they're gonna seem disconnected and I hope I'm pulling them out of the scriptures. I'm gonna talk about what John means by commands of Christ, which I really ended with last time. I'm gonna be talking about the role of the law in our lives and then of course the message here is about loving our brothers and if I don't completely run out of time, Lord willing, I'm gonna be talking about who is our brother, who is my brother? Uh, what What does that word mean 452 times it's used in the Bible? Uh, what, what what are the, you know, the way you determine what a word means in the Bible is you go back up and you look up every use of it, and then you study how it is used in the context, and the context is what determines definition. Well, you go back and do those 452, and I'll share with you a very brief, I hope, overview of what those words actually mean. At the end, I'm not sure that's the right place to put it, but that's where it ended up on my notes, so that's what I'm planning to do today. And... Uh, John, way in the back there, uh, if, if you wouldn't mind, I know they won't hear you on the internet, but if you wouldn't mind opening those with prayer, I've been leaning on Les so much, I thought I'd give him a Sunday off. You know. Our Father, thank you for the time we gather together, and especially as we come around your word. We ask that you bless it through our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John. So, I've attempted to put the scriptures up on the screen so you don't. I'm going to jump around a little bit. And I tried what is <laughs> supposed to be a green background, but it looks yellow to me. Uh, it was green when I started. Uh, and that's the passage we're beginning with in 1 John 2:3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, we would say whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily, the word is truly, is the love of God perfected. Hereby know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth, in him ought himself to walk even as he walked. Now last week as I went over this passage, I tried to explain my view of this passage. And uh, it is that from from now on, as I walk through this life as a Christian, I'm instructed to listen to his voice. Now, I do not believe John is telling us to go back and attempt to keep the Ten Commandments. I don't believe any of the uh, New Testament uh, writers would say that either. Uh, I believe what it's saying is I must continue to walk into my newfound trust and relationship to him. So when he's talking about commandments, Uh, he's actually referring back to a specific sentence that Jesus said, this commandment I write unto you, uh, that you love one another. And that's, that's the one he's referring to. And it's talking about his leadership. I believe it applies to every avenue of our life. I believe when we wake up, when we walk, when we sit down, when we talk, we should always be consciousness, conscious of his leadership in our life. I do not believe I do not believe that he's telling us to go back and try keeping the Ten Commandments or worse, the Jewish uh, ceremonial laws that they'd all come up with. Now, it's confusing, I know. And, and this, this is not going to be an easy lesson for me. Probably not for you either. Uh, it's confusing that in Christ, the New Testament clearly teaches that we're free from the law. The law has nothing to say. If you Let me back up. If you're a Christian If you've received Jesus Christ, confessed your sin and received Jesus Christ, the Old Testament law has nothing more to say to you. Uh, Who's speaking to you now is the Holy Spirit in your heart. And we think of that as Jesus talking to us. Uh, But it is really the Holy Spirit talking to us. Now, John will reference the Old Testament law. And that law requires that we love our brothers. And I'll, I'll go into that. So when we're speaking about Old Testament law, specifically the Ten Commandments, It's important to understand that we're free from the law. But the law is still operational. The Ten Commandments are still God's absolute, unchangeable rule for good. It's written in stone. It will always be written in stone. It's valid. It's intact. And it's applicable to all people everywhere, even us. So when I say the Ten Commandments no longer applies to us. It's not because they're not true and it's not because they're not valid and it's not because we're not supposed to fulfill those rules. It is because we are above those laws. In Christ, we rise above those laws. In Christ, we're lifted above the law and I know that sounds crazy, but actually what we have when we walk in the Lord Jesus Christ is a higher law were dead to the lower law. And that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter eight. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now the problem with the Old Testament law is that it asked me to do something. And I, I love law in that I want to be able to do something. I want to do something. And the Old Testament law fits right into that. Okay, Bob, don't lie anymore. Don't swear anymore. And I make up my mind, I'm not going to do this. The only problem is there's a weakness in our flesh. And the flesh is such that when I try to do good, I find myself unable to do it, which is what we talked about last week. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Understand, Paul is not saying there's anything wrong with the law. What's wrong is our fallen nature, our flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now you can test this for yourself. You can make yourself a list of rules that you're going to keep today or this week, and you can say, I'm never going to do that again, and say it out loud so the demons can hear you, and uh, see how well you do that week. And then the next week. Uh, Make up your mind. I'm going to follow whatever Jesus wants me to do and I'm going to surrender my heart to him and I'm going to try to be sensitive to his leading and see how that week goes. And I've done it both ways and I can tell you that listening to Jesus works an awful lot better. It really does. As we walk through this life following his leading, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're lifted literally above the law, not below the law, not disqualified from the law, but we fulfill the law when we follow him. Not only do we fulfill the law, I'm gonna get ahead of myself if I'm not careful. Not only do we fulfill the law in Christ, first of all, he fulfilled the law in us when he died. He he took all the commandments of the law on himself and died because the the law says, the soul that sinneth that shall die, and he died in our place. And now when we're we're in Christ, when he died, we died. So we have this whole new relationship to the law. We're above the law, and as we walk in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the law only condemns the guilty. But in Christ we are righteous and because we are above the law, the law has nothing more to say to us. The law has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when John writes, uh, he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He's talking in a way that a Jew would understand. A Jew would understand that if your life does not manifest the keeping of the Old Testament law, if your, ma- if your life does not manifest righteous living, then you are not truly born again. That's what John is saying. But he's not telling us to go back and keep the Ten Commandments. So uh, let me see if I've got myself messed up here. John fifteen four. I think more along the lines of what John is telling us is what John 15 and verse 4 tells us when Jesus talked about how we produce fruit. He said, abide in me. And the word abide means, the word abide means to remain. So remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. And he goes on and he says, I meant to put that verse up there. and It looks like I didn't. I uh, said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And you can test this verse as well. You can say to the Lord, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do this and this and this for you and see how it goes. And then you can say to the Lord, all right, now let's go out and let's do this and this and this together and see how that goes. And what you find is the more you experience this and the more you walk in this is you find that the more you try on your own, the more you fail. And the more you try, uh, try is not the right word, the more you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you succeed. It's a spiritual principle that we're talking about here. I know preachers, I know people get really tired of preachers saying this, and it's because we've worn the phrase out. But what you have in Christ is not a new means of keeping Old Testament law. What you have in Christ is a new relationship. And I know that's a tired old word. You have a new power source. See, what you've done when you became a Christian is you unplugged yourself from law keeping and plugged yourself into the power of the Holy Spirit. And as long as you rely on walk in, and trust his power, it will flow. And as soon as you pull the plug out and say, no, I'm going out on my own and do it on my own, the power stops, it's as simple as that. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you, He just says, Bob, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it, let's see how it works. And I've done it both ways, many, many times, I've preached with His help, and I've preached without His help, and I can tell you from, well, I guess it's close to 50 years of experience now, His help is always better than me doing it on my own. So in my mind, it's not about the Old Testament law, it's not about keeping the law, the requirements of the law if you're in Christ the requirements of the law have been fulfilled fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how that thief on the cross hanging there could say well, first he said to that guy on the other side, be quiet, he's righteous, we're sinners. So he confessed his sin. And then he saw, all he said to Jesus was, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now this guy had broken every law in the book. In fact, probably on the rock, every law on the rock. He's broken every one of them. And yet Jesus could turn to him when he says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. When Jesus turned to him, he could say, verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Because his sins were covered. Covered by the blood of the lord jesus christ paul goes into great detail on this in the book of romans which is certainly a favorite of mine Uh, wherefore my brethren ye also are become dead to the law by the body of christ you see that when he died we died when he resurrected we were resurrected when he went to heaven and he ascended he sent the holy spirit and that way he could indwell in each of us Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Now, this is in that marriage chapter. So it's talking about how the law binds a a woman to her husband until her husband dies. But this actually is making a spiritual application out of of the teaching on marriage and divorce. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now, in Galatians, if you're interested in this subject, the book of Galatians is where you start. It's a great little book, and it's sort of like uh, uh, the cliff notes for the book of Romans. It's like a a cheater's version, uh, the easier approach. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians 2.19, for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. Uh, So the, the truth is, it's no longer us that are living. Paul goes on. Uh, I've said it too many times. When Christ died, we died. That's in my notes. Paul goes on in that same passage in Galatians again. He writes, "I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live; yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live now. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me." If you wanted to take anything home from this section, this section about the law. Uh, take take this passage Galatians 2 20 and verse uh, 2 20 actually 2 and 21 2 20 and 21 I'll put that up here in just a minute You see in Christ we died yet in Christ. We are we are now alive in him. I found a whole new life. I Had the toughest time understanding any of this uh, as a new Christian And I don't know if it was my lack of biblical training uh, although I'd already graduated from seminary I uh, maybe that talks about how well I studied in seminary I don't know but I really had a difficult time understanding this old life new life thing and I I really thought in the beginning I thought that well now that I'm saved I can keep keep these rules and what I found was the the harder I tried the, the more rules I broke so I felt like I had to struggle mightily to keep from going back to my old life and the, the old nature and the old sins. i would lived 25 years in the flesh and I would uh, accumulated quite a, a nasty mess of habits and misbehaviors. And I really it was a struggle. I was supposed to be a preacher and here I was struggling to keep from to keep from going back to that old life of sin. And uh, one day I actually shared this with a man down in Rutland. Uh, he was a visitor of a preacher friend of mine. And uh, this, this, this evangelist uh, of sorts, he was more like a, a, more like a deeper life teacher than an evangelist, but he, Dan Stone is his name. I'm sure none of you have ever heard of him. But Dan, white haired gentleman whose wife had recently died said, Bob, what are you worried about? And I said, well, I'm afraid that if I stop struggling, I'll go back to the old life. And he said, oh, you need to go back. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you need to go back. I said, what? To the American Legion? To the motorcycles? To the long hair? To the pot? And he said, Yeah, man, you need to go back. And I thought, this is the dumbest counseling I've ever had in my entire life. I've never heard anybody so stupid in my life. And I was driving home from Rutland with Linda and the kids in the backseat, and we were, you know, I was mulling on these words and I don't know if Linda said anything to me or not. All I, all I was thinking was, he's crazy, and I thought about it, and then I thought about going back, and I realized that I couldn't. But that, that life held no appeal to me at all. None. I could no more go back and hang out with that gang of hooligans and ride that motorcycle and, and do the stupid things I was doing. It'd be easier to just jump off a cliff than to do that. And I realized what the man was telling me is you can't go back. You don't have to worry about falling back into your old nature. If you're born again, you can't go back. You're born again. And that's what Paul said in the next verse. I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What he's saying is I'm not going to stop grace in my life and go back to trying to rule rule keeping. Because if I go back to rule rule keeping or trying to do good, that means Christ died for no reason at all. Now I'm not going to frustrate grace in my life. So this is how you stop the operation of grace in your own life. All right. You go back to rule keeping. You make a list for yourself. Even if it's one thing, I'm not going to swear this week. Make a list. You're going back to rule keeping. And when you do that, you automatically frustrate the operation of grace in your life. That's what Paul's saying. I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God in my life. Righteousness does not come by the law. It comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm going to say today is, Lord, please guard my mouth. I don't want to sin against you. Lord, please give me the words to say. I want to speak for you. Lord, help me to have power over these temptations because I can't do it myself. See, now uh, there's one of the theologians that Dan was fond of used the phrase, the wink of faith. And it's the idea of people say, well, can you do this? And we'll say, yes, I can do it. But we say it with a wink. We know we can, you know. Are you going to go in here and visit this person? Yes, I'm going to go visit. Do you, do you know what to say? Yeah, I know what to say huh. with a wink. I know what to say if he tells me what to say. I can be successful if he makes me successful. I can live this Christian life if he helps me live this Christian life. The point is we're no longer under the law that now that we are in Christ. Now that's an important point. So I don't want to labor this too far, but I want to make it clear. Insofar that we are abiding in Christ and walking with Christ, we are actually keeping a higher law. If you just do the Ten Commandments, you won't take the the name of the Lord your God in vain. You will honor your father and mother, but you're not doing anything positive. You're just not doing anything negative. If you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll start doing positive things. That's why it's above the law. It's even better than the law requires. If you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, your life will exceed the Ten Commandments. The law says, thou shalt not. The Holy Spirit says, let's do it. See, now I know this is confusing and that while we're free from the law and we walk with Christ, when we abide, we will actually truly keep those Old Testament laws. You won't, you won't violate any of those laws if you're walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how John could say what he said. If you're, if you're not keeping his commandments, you're definitely not walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to be talking about love. It's this third, third in this series of four apparently unrelated subjects. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. In other words, it's an old one. But an old commandment, which he had from the beginning all the way back 1,500 years before Christ, which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which he heard from the beginning. You know, love has been God's plan for his people ever since he created Adam and Eve. So it's not new. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Do I have that here? I do. Uh, This is the Shema. I always wanted to say it means the proclamation, but it doesn't. It means the hearing. It means to listen. Shema, listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. This is the great commandment, Jesus said. This is upon which all the law hangs. See, this commandment and the next one that you find in Leviticus. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. I thought about keep cutting this out for simplicity, but I liked it, so I left it. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. That's an interesting statement. And thou shalt not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So the two great commandments are love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Uh, So clearly the commandment, this is uh, 1,500 years before Christ that Moses wrote this, but probably was told to Adam and handed down in the scrolls right from the very beginning. This is what they understood their life was to center around. So clearly the commandment to love is not new. For us, clearly more than 3,500 years old, probably closer to 6,000. But John writes, it is new in a way, again, a new commandment, I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passed and the true light now shineth." You know, in that uh, the video series we're watching on Friday nights, and by the way, we're going to meet Friday night at seven o'clock with uh, eight more pizzas, eight seem to be the magic number, and uh, sodas, and, and uh, if Mary's kind again, we'll have cookies, uh, and if... Uh, Carter's happy, he'll bring some maple candy, and we have still have some sodas. I bought what I thought was two days' worth of sodas, and I think we're entering day four now. So, But you're welcome to join us. You know, uh, I lost my place, I'm sorry. But anyway, in that video series, you're welcome to join us. It's no charge at all. Seven o'clock here at the church. Uh, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. In this new way, in this new thing, what's new about it, what is new about this commandment of Jesus' is it's new in clarity and it's new in emphasis. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one to another. What's the proof that you're saved? What's the proof that you're in the right church? What's the proof that these people sitting next to you are Christians? The proof is love. The proof is love. It's not in their doctrinal purity because we all have crazy ideas about things. You know, it's not in the way we dress or where we come from. It's in our love, one for another. Now that we've seen Jesus, John writes, we know what love in action looks like. If you want to understand love, read about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's where you read about it, see? We saw him, he said, and now we know what it's like. The darkness has passed. The time for guessing is over. The true light now shines. That's what I, That was my link back to the chosen... The, the phrase they use in The Chosen is that people who are lost are asleep, and that people who are saved are now awake. And here it's darkness and light, and in The Chosen it's awake and asleep. They're talk, talking about the same thing. The world is asleep to the truth of God. The world is asleep to God's light. The world is in darkness. It's also, it's new in clarity and emphasis, but it's this, this, this commandment, this direction, this power that God brings through us is also new in its power. Though the indwe- through the indwelling spirit, we're now finding ourselves an ability to love that we never had before because when we were lost, sin is selfish. It's all about me. We do all this fancy talk about 50-50 when we get married, but when two lost people get married, it's all about the individual. It's almost every man for himself, although I'd say every man and woman for himself. Uh, Sin is remarkably selfish. And when you see selfishness, you're looking at Satan right in the face. But now in Christ, and more importantly with Christ in me, and designation puts the emphasis on the most important person first, Christ in me, see. I can dial die to my selfish desires and I can begin to put another, man's, another person's needs above my own. Now this new commandment that he's talking about, uh, John, the Apostle John, is referencing uh, Jesus' words that he recorded in his Gospel of John. So I'm going from 1 John back to Big John, Little John back to Big John. A new commandment, quoting Jesus, I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. That's that's the quality of love. That's what you're looking for. So when you're loving your husband or your wife or your neighbor or your friend or your brother or your sister or your cousin or your nephew, when you're loving them the way Jesus loves you, you're doing it correctly. And the truth is, as I end this sermon, you can't do that. You cannot love as Jesus loved. All you can do is confess your lack of love and allow the Holy Spirit to love them through you. You can become a channel of God's love, but it's nearly impossible to be so selfless that you could actually, you yourself, love as selflessly as the, as selflessly as the Lord Jesus loved. So you run into someone, Well, sometimes it's your wife or your husband, And they're irritating the fire out of you, and you really want to say something. In my case, I probably already said it twice. Uh, And what you have to do in your heart is you have to say, Lord, help me to act loving to my wife or my husband or my daughter or my son. Help me to love this person. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that as a believer, you know what I'm talking about as a believer when you do that in your heart you say lord help me to love this person that love is instantly there it's instantly there and your anger is almost always instantly gone now what i'm talking about doesn't happen the first day you're saved i'm talking about walking with christ for a number of years but this is what's happening in your life this is where it's going a New Commandment, Jesus said, I get that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another, and by this you'll all... Now you notice the word there, men, is italicized. Uh, when we use that word, and I'm going to get into that in a minute, men, it's not talking about men, the male sex, it's talking about mankind. We do this all the time. Uh, I, I, said, uh, well, I said something earlier when I was talking about a husband and a wife, and I, I talk about men. I'm talking about mankind and we do that. That's one of the applications of that word brother. It's not just, depending on how the context is, it's not just brothers, it's brothers and sisters. You know, and I'll get stuck here, but I'll often, back when I was teaching, start a class with all right guys, now settle down, let's get to work. Now I wasn't just talking to the boys, see. It's like, you, it, I was talking to everybody. Now, I, I don't think you can say that now. you probably end up with a prison term if you say that now, but we used to talk like that in school. You know, all right, guys, settle down. And some sometimes some girl would stand up and say, I ain't no guy. You know, okay. He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abides in the light and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. Abiding in Christ changes our relationships to others. That's all that John is saying. Those outbursts of anger, the selfish demands, those uh, temper tantrums that we have, the demands on other people, they prove that we're, it doesn't prove that we're lost. He doesn't say you're lost. He says you're walking in the darkness. You're back in the old world. You're back walking in the old flesh. Clearly, one of the fruits of the indwelling spirit is love. Now, I've hammered that enough. While we have many reasons to be angry and even hate one another, we recognize that God the Father has forgiven us for all the wrongs that we've done. And that's the basis of our forgiving others is because God has forgiven us. We owe them the same forgiveness the Father gave us. There's a lot of verses on this in the New Testament. This is out of Mark chapter 11. When you stand praying, forgive, Jesus said. This is quoting Jesus. Uh, if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. How's my time doing? Back when I was a brand new, brand new preacher, had just one kid then, uh, Jennifer. Uh, we had this baby crisis at my first church. This is my second church. I was three and a half years at that church, and... 42 years now I think of this one, but uh, we had this baby crisis and boy, I don't know, it, it was just my family came and I was nervous about them being there and then I don't remember the event, it was summertime. Might have been the 4th of July because uh, a number of families had their children there. A number of the older couples had their younger married children there and of course their grandchildren and one kid in particular, Little kid in particular was running around the church screaming, going absolutely crazy. And <clears throat> I, I didn't know these, these people were really good at controlling their kids. But this daughter of Pete Newman, uh, the guy's name was Pete Newman, he was one of the deacons. His daughter just didn't believe in discipline. And the kid was running around and up on stage and pulling on the curtain and screaming and uh, just carrying on. And, and I, I have it on the tape. I have about 40 minutes of that kid going on. Finally, I said, I'm sorry, I can't continue with all this noise. Now, I I learned after that, you're not supposed to say that in church. Uh, I didn't know it, but I've never said it again, other than to retell the story. But at the time that I said that, the kid was up here pulling my pants down, jerking (laughs) my Well, what I should have done, if that ever happens to you, just say, let us pray and close the service. <laughs> Lots of, oh, they got so mad at me, they wanted to fire me and they actually had a vote to fire me and there was all this stuff going on. And I went with my family to Dollywood, I think, in, Pen- in Tennessee, I just had a miserable time, I'm sure they did too, but the thing that was interesting was that Pete went to a revival service, Pete Newman went to a revival service, and the guy was preaching that night on forgiveness, And as as that guy was preaching, the Holy Spirit was talking to him. And that guy said, if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. And that next Sunday, Pete got up and he read he read this passage to him and he said, you know what? We need to forgive him because if we don't forgive him, God won't forgive us. And I thought, well, that's that's very interesting. I mean, there was a part of me that wanted to stand up and say, I didn't do anything wrong. But I figured by now it's time to keep your mouth shut, Bob. So I just kept my mouth shut and they forgave me and we went on with it. But this is the point. If the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you will find that the forgiveness and the love that God offers you, you will offer to others. Unforgiveness in the body of Christ is a serious cause of stumbling. Our claim to be standing in Christ while hating one another screams of hypocrisy and the world sees it instantly. It's it's an offense to our families, it's an offense to the church, and it's an offense to the whole world. If they had not forgiven me of my non-crime, if they had not forgiven me, God would not have forgiven them of their hatred and that church would have ended being a church. Now, the lost world is under no obligation to love. Did you know that? They're in so much trouble with God, that's the least of their worries, you know? But they know we're under an obligation to love, and the world knows when they get into a group of people that's not loving, they know that you should be different. The same thing's true with parents. Parents claiming to love Christ, but living loveless, selfish lives become a stumbling stone for their children. And not operating, not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit becomes a main problem for kids. They see the hypocrisy in their parents. There's no greater enemy to the cause of Christ than a selfish, loveless, uncaring person who professes to be a Christian, whether they are or not. Now, just a brief series of definitions. I'm watching that, clock. Love is not a feeling. Although sometimes we feel good about love, sometimes we feel bad about love. I'm sure Jesus wasn't feeling too good about love when they were driving the nails into his hand. But he was acting in love, you see. There's a difference. It's not a vocabulary word. It's a practical action. Love is accepting. Now you know where I got this, 1 Corinthians 13. Love accepts without demanding perfection. You know, for a long time, I kind of hoped my wife would change. And I know she was hoping I'd change. And you get to a point in a marriage after a while, next year's 50 years. You get to a point after a while where you think, you know, she's not going to change and that's all right. I'm sure Linda's crossed that threshold a long time ago. That boy ain't changing. You know, he's just a mess and he's going to be a mess. You know, love accepts people, love also promotes. Love puts the other's best interest ahead of their own, love is patient. It isn't finding faults, do you see? It's waiting on God to bring change for others. Love is kind. It responds with compassion and caring when others are hurt. Love always puts the other person first. Now, Paul goes through a much bigger list than that. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness had blinded his eyes. Now, you you read that and you think, wow, he's on a tear. I mean, he just... He's heaping definition upon definition. But if you think about this a while, it's very interesting. There's four facts here about the Christian who fails to walk with Christ and fails to love his brother. First of all, he's in darkness. Every aspect of his life is affected. Now, I'm going to say he because I'm a he, but it's us, whether you're a he or a she. He is in the darkness. Every aspect of his life is affected. He may think he's doing okay, but he doesn't know because he's in darkness. He's still in the world. He walks in darkness was the second thing John said. His movement is affected by the darkness that he's operating in. Darkness characterizes his life. Third, he said he knows not where he's going. His thinking is affected. He can't think straight because he's blind to his own behaviors and darkness has blinded his eyes. His ability to see has been affected. He's unable to tell where he's going. Now, that first moment, this is me talking, and I think this is true. That first moment, we refuse to let the love of God flow through us. Our spiritual progress stops and we have to go back and repent of that to start over again. We can't find our way after that. Once we hold on to selfishness, meanness, bitterness, hatred, once we get caught up in the things of the world, we get stuck there. We're like the Jews in the wilderness. We couldn't go forward. See, they got right up to the promised land, but they couldn't believe God any further than that. So they got stuck there. And I don't know if there are a lot of Christians, even now, that have, God has brought them right up to the border of the promised land. And they turned back because they got scared. But you'll know when you're wandering around in the wilderness and nothing works and nothing's right. And there's no power flowing in your life. You're in the wilderness. The Jews were in the wilderness for 40 years. But more importantly, they were in the wilderness until they all died. And I don't know if that's true for many Christians, but certainly Israel is an illustration that it's possible to wander around in the wilderness and just while wow your whole life away until you die and never discover the power that the Holy Spirit has brought into your life through obedience to his word in your life. It's amazing what he can do if you just say yes. Well, the tragic results of failing to love, you begin to live in darkness again. We become a cause of others stumbling and we stop all spiritual progress. The positive result, the other side of that, of of loving, obeying the Holy Spirit, allowing him to flow through, the positive result is we live in the light. There's no cause for others to stumble. We grow spiritually, and we experience the joy of seeing God reach through us to others. Now, what I said earlier is what I meant to say here, so I'm going to say it again. How do we do it? We can't. The first thing you have to understand in the Christian life is, I can't. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the most important phrase in the Christian life is, I can't. And then the second most important phrase is, but he can. You know, I can't, but he can. That's the link of faith. I can't do this, but he can do it through me. I can trust him for it. What happens is you get so so ingrained in doing it that it actually becomes you. But deep in your heart, you always know what you're not capable of and that he's carrying you further than you could ever go. That's faith. True love is not in us. It's only in Christ. We must abide in him, remain. We must trust him. I walk by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We must confess our inability to love and we must put our trust in him. We must believe that he can love others through us. And now, I'm really out of time, but I think I can do this quickly. Where do I want to be? Yeah, that's where I want to be. Who is my brother? All right. 452 uses of the word in the Old and New Testament. Ak in the Hebrew, adelphos in the Greek. Strictly, that word refers to someone who was born by the same mother you have. That's what the word strictly means. Someone who's born of the same mother, masculine. Contextually in the Bible, it's often used this way. The first mention, law first mention, if you're familiar with that with biblical interpretation, first mention of the word brother is Cain and Abel, both born of the same mother, both male. But it's also used to describe more distant family members. And when you put it in the plural as brethren, it actually encompasses men and women. So we're actually talking about not just your brother, but your sister, brethren. You're also talking about your extended family, your cousins and all of that. So when it says love your brother, it's talking about love your whole family. And if you knew my family, you'd know how hard that would be. But often the word is also used to describe fellow believers, like a, fa- a, a a town filled with Jews would be referred to. All the Jewish men and women would gather around and, and the, the speaker would get up and say, brethren. And the church followed that practice. So the word brothers also refers to believers, fellow believers. So I like that. I don't have a brother. Well, I do have a brother, but I'm out of touch with him. Uh, But I have a sister, and I believe it applies to that as well. I think brethren encompasses not only my immediate family, but all those other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. There are, however, another category of use of that word in the Bible where it's clearly addressed to just humans, talking about fellow human beings, even people who are not believers, at least not yet. So... You get that word in the neighbor, you know, who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? Jesus used the illustration of a Samaritan, which was as hated a person in the culture of Israel as there ever was, you know, and that's your neighbor. So I, I wish I could say to you that when John tells us to love our brother, he's talking about just the church family and our immediate family, but I don't think he is. I think he would, and I think God would, I know God has, extended his love to everyone. And I think that's really what this passage is about. We owe love to the world just as God showed his love to us. So who is my brother? He or she is your physical relationship, a family member, however distant. He or she is your spiritual relation, a person who is also a believer like yourself. Or he or she is your human relation, a person who lives on earth with you. He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. When John wrote that, I, I, I just feel in my heart that he had that in mind, family and believers. But I clearly think if Jesus were talking about it, he'd extend it to the world. You know? I want to limit it to family and other believers. Because I'm lazy and selfish. But then what world am I walking in? He that saith he's in the light and hateth his brother, he's in darkness even until now. But he that loves his brother abides in the light and there's no occasion of stumbling in him. Let that be said of you. Let that be said of us. Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, I know it's complicated and difficult, but I pray that through it all, just one or two gems of truth would settle on your your people's hearts. And that all this nonsense that I've talked about would just fade into the background. Help us, I pray, Father, to live a life like the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to be proud and stand tall in the faith that we have in Christ. As the challenges arise in our culture more and more against the church, make us people of boldness. But let our boldness not forsake love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.